We're going to be reading from a passage of scripture that is incredibly, incredibly familiar. It's John chapter 3. So if you'd like to turn there, if you'd like to find that on your phone, I'm going to be reading that scripture in just one moment. And uh, I told you some things were going to be a little different. First of all, I did a little singing. Some of you missed that. For whatever that's worth, I don't know if that's a blessing or what, but you know, yeah, I did that. Now I'm going to be here while somebody else preaches. I'm going to have Eric preach, and uh, in the future, I want more and more of our men who have a, a, a touch of God on their life to get the opportunity to preach. It's not in any way, shape, or form because I don't enjoy it. I think it's pretty clear. It's hard to get me to shut up up here. I mean, I'm just so passionate about God's word, but I know that ultimately we don't grow by one thing over and over and over, one single diet of something over and over. And so in the days ahead, there'll be more opportunities for me to be here, but not necessarily to be the one who's bringing the message. And you guys know, Eric has done this while I've been gone on vacation or gone with a week off and I have been excited about the opportunity to have Eric share the, uh, the word while I'm here. And so Eric is going to be doing that. I told you it was going to be a little different today. And uh, then I also think I did a pretty smart thing because, you know, I said it, it's hard for me to shut up. It's Eric's job to shut up so you can get to your burgers today instead of mine. So that's a good thing. I think I played my cards pretty well right. So Eric, remember. You're battling not the clock, but the burgers today. So I'm telling you. But yes, John chapter three is a fantastic passage of scripture. One that has so many lessons and so much. And if you've been following along and if you've been watching The Chosen, and I know many of you are, and y'all are coming to me and saying, hey, we're already in season two. I understand it's been a blessing to you. I'm so glad it's been a blessing. And I'm so glad it's brought maybe the, the word of God to life in a little way for you. But tonight we're gonna, or today we're gonna read about the man who came to Jesus at night. His name is Nicodemus. He was a Pharisee. And let me begin reading in chapter three, verse one. Now there was a Pharisee, a man named Nicodemus, who was a member of the Jewish ruling council. And he came to Jesus at night and said, Rabbi, we know that you're a teacher who has come from God for no one can perform the signs that you are doing if God is not with him. And Jesus replied, very truly, I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless he is born again. How can someone be born when they are old, Nicodemus asked. Surely they cannot enter a second time into their mother's womb to be born. And Jesus answered, very truly, I say to you, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they are born of water and of the spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but the spirit gives birth to the spirit. You should not be surprised at my saying, you must be born again. The wind blows wherever it pleases and you hear its sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it is going. And so it is with everyone born of the Spirit. How can this be? Nicodemus asked. You are Israel's teacher, Jesus said, and you do not understand these things. Very truly, I tell you, we speak of what we know and we testify of what we have seen, but still you people do not accept our testimony. This is referring to the Pharisees. I've spoken to you of earthly things and you do not believe. How then will you believe if I speak of heavenly things? No one has ever gone into heaven except the one who came from heaven, the son of man. 
And just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, that everyone who believes may have eternal life in him. And then we come to John chapter 3, verse 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into this world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. And whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe in him stands condemned already because they have not believed in the name of God's one and only Son. This is the verdict, that light has come into the world, but people love the darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. And everyone who... Uh, who does evil hates the light and will not come to the light for fear that their deeds will be exposed. But whoever lives by the truth comes into the light so that it may be seen plainly that what they have done has been done in the sight of God. Let's say our scripture declaration together. Lord, we honor your word to us. May your truth become our heart's pursuit and our life's practice. Heavenly Father, as Eric comes to share, I just pray that our hearts would be open. I know that he is prepared and I know that he's ready. Most importantly, Lord, it is your touch that we desire so that you might be glorified, that you might open hearts and you might change lives. It's about you, Lord, and I pray that you would use Eric as your vessel. In Jesus' name we pray and everyone together said, amen. And all I know you're my only Thank you, Pastor Randy. Thank you, worship team. Thank you, all of you, for being here. I appreciate it. Um, thank you, Pastor, for the opportunity to share God's word. And from John chapter 3, and specifically the most important Bible verse in all of God's word, in, in most people's opinion. So, John 3 16. So, what a privilege and an honor it is. Um, but Randy didn't just say, Hey, uh, I need you to preach and leave it at that. He did give me some coaching. I told him my ideas, and he said, that's great. He said, what, what if we do this? What if we do that? And so I think we might have a video. Somebody caught a video of him giving me some coaching along the way. Is that, is that on here? <laughs> oh, wow. Ah, uh, yes. There we are. So uh, thanks for all the coaching, Pastor. Your methods, your methods are definitely working. I, I, I promise to do a good job, right? <laughs> All right, so yeah, so okay, so I hopefully you guys are up on current events. That's um, that he definitely does not coach me in that way, but all right, not yet, not yet. Not that's right. Okay, so we are going to talk about Nicodemus today. I don't know if you're watching The Chosen, we're watching it for the second time, third, maybe fourth time. 
but it's, it's just so good, you know. Um, just, they did just a great job putting God's word on the screen in a way that we can relate to it and, and, you know, relate to these characters, the character building that you don't necessarily get reading God's word one verse at a time is demonstrated in watching these stories and these people develop. So it's really incredible to watch. So we're going to talk about Nicodemus and this is, um, uh, Eric Avara is the uh, actor that plays Nicodemus and just does a sp- spectacular job. Look at him, so stoic there. Um, but Nicodemus is a member of the Pharisees. And so the Pharisees and the Sadducees are two different groups that are part of the Sanhedrin. Just a little backstory, a little history for you. The Sanhedrin is the, the Jewish ruling council at the time over the Jewish people, the people of Israel, and they had two different groups within them that were split on different ideas. You, it's not hard to imagine this occurring, right? We have the same thing in our government. Different beliefs, of course, but the Pharisees were groups who had some differences from the Sadducees. Now, the, oral, the, the Pharisees believed in oral tradition being equivalent to Scripture. So, the, the, the traditions of the fathers, as it, as it stated, that you know, are, the, are the same in authority to what God's word says. The Sadducees rejected that and said, no, we need to only follow what God's word says. The Pharisees believed in the free will of man. You have the free will to decide if you want to follow God or not. The Sadducees believed in predestination. God has already decided who's going to follow him and who is not. There's some, some similarities to even the differences between Protestants the different Protestant denominations here today. The Pharisees believed in the resurrection of the dead, and the Sadducees did not. And that's where all the, the old joke comes from. The Sadducees didn't believe in the resurrection of the dead, so they were always sad, you see. The Pharisees believed in angels and demons. The Sadducees did not. And there's a few more here. The, the Pharisees were respected generally by the masses, by the masses of people, and the Sadducees were more elite more aristocratic. The Pharisees resisted Rome much stronger than the Sadducees. They were accommodating Rome's laws into their own Jewish law. But one thing they had in common, they did not want to upset the status quo, and therefore they hated Jesus. That's what Jesus was there to do, was to upset the status quo. So uh, we see that in Mark chapter 7. Jesus had more run-ins with the Pharisees just because the Pharisees ignored God's law and they made their own traditions in large part. And Jesus says that. You ignore God's law and you substitute your own tradition. So we know that that is true, that he felt that way. So Nicodemus, though, he's a Pharisee. And over time, it appears that he has drifted far from God. Even though he's got all this training, he's a teacher, he's a ruling class, he's rich, and he's drifted from God. He's getting comfortable in his own power. And so he's become apathetic. He's become apathetic to his position. So we see that a lot of times. <laughs> Apathy. No mountain seems too high when you don't care about climbing it. He could have done so much good with his whole life, but he was comfortable. And so were all the other Pharisees. They were comfortable ruling instead of inspiring other people to follow God. And so we see that throughout Jesus' interaction with the Pharisees. But it took Jesus coming onto the scene to shake him out of his apathy. He sees Jesus, the miracles that he does. He sees how he inspires groups of people. And he says, wait a minute. There must be something to this man. 
And what makes him think that way? Well, I think I have an idea. I think it's because he's not fulfilled. He's not finding fulfillment in what he's teaching and learning and his position. It's not enough inside him because God makes us, he made us when we were created to have a desire to seek him. And they call that a God-shaped hole in your heart, right? That nothing else can fill inside your heart. And so that's pretty clearly what we're seeing from Nicodemus. No other Pharisees came to meet Jesus, you know? We know that he's got some faith. And as Jesus says later, the faith of a mustard seed can move mountains. So he's very comfortable, he's wealthy, but he's unfulfilled. That's why he comes to seek Jesus. And he's the one who moves first to Jesus, which is pretty interesting. So, um, so he came also at night. What does that mean? Well, um, there's only three times in the book of John and nowhere else in the Bible that it mentions Nicodemus. And two of those times, it says he came there at night. So if God repeats something, it probably means we should pay attention. Why does he come at night? Probably because he wanted to hide his seeking of Jesus from the other Pharisees. He could not be seen seeking or respecting a Nazarene. And that's what's really interesting. He goes at night to, to hide himself, to seek teaching from somebody who should not, in his world, be getting any kind of respect. So there's a shift in Nicodemus's thinking that we can observe. There's a few major shifts that we'll, we'll go through and talk about, but what's interesting is this shift occurs in the mind of any person who begins to follow Jesus. And so let's go through it. Well, the first thing he does is he has to begin to humble himself. You see, the, the people back then believed that the, the area of Nazareth was like backwoods country hillbilly folk. And he could tell by the way Jesus spoke, most likely, that that's where he was from. So as, um, even as Nathaniel said in John chapter 1, can anything good come from Nazareth? So we already know that he's automatically disrespected just because of where he comes from. But Jesus ain't playing around. This conversation with Nicodemus is short by the scheme of what is said, right? You could take this conversation, stretch it into a whole sermon series if we wanted to, right? There's so much here, but it's short. Jesus gets right to graduate level theology. He doesn't mess around. He talks, starts talking about being born again. It's something that's over the head of Nicodemus, and it shouldn't be. He's their top teacher. He knows God's word in and out. And he teaches it on a regular basis. And he's going, what are you talking about, Jesus? He should have already known, and he didn't. So don't miss the fact that Jesus came to exalt the humble and to humble the exalted. If you think that you know something and you're, you're um, you know, above the rest of the people around you, you know more, you're an expert, God's probably going to knock you off your peg a little bit. And we see that happen all the time. You can watch the news, you can read People magazine, you can see that God knocks people off of their pedestal on the regular. To be honest, it's kind of entertaining. That's why they sell so many of those. All right, so let's look at John chapter 9, 39 through 41, just quickly. Jesus said, for judgment... 
I've come into this world so that the blind can see and those who will see become blind. What does he mean by this? The Pharisees who were with him asked this, what, are we blind too? Jesus is saying, if you think you can see so well, I'm going to make you blind. But if you admit that you have trouble seeing everything for scriptural truth and you seek it, I will give you the vision to see those things, to see the, the way that the biblical worldview is, the scriptural presentation of how God sees the world. So the Pharisees are offended. They say, what, are we blind too? Jesus said, if you were blind, in other words, if you were seeking truth, you would not be guilty of sin. But now that you claim you can see, you claim that you can see all truth already, your guilt remains. Nicodemus is a trained expert. He's not used to hearing this. He's not used to being the student, especially from a teacher from Nazareth. So it's important for Bible teachers not to impress others, but to impart the truth of God, which is great. As I stand here teaching you about the Bible, I'm certainly not trying to impress you, and I'm glad that you're not impressed by me. <laughs> so um, so having, here's the thing about human beings, though. If you do develop some skills in life or in, in work, in your professional life, if you have power and influence over people, it's dangerous. It's a trap, and you can see that constantly in the world. It's intoxicating to have power. It's addicting, not just money, but when people respect you, you see it all the time with celebrities, right? It's intoxicating, and they don't want to give that up. Well, this is true about the Pharisees as well. They do not want to give up what they have going, and they hate Jesus for calling them out about it. He calls them a brood of vipers, and they hate it. We also see it in the rich young ruler that happens later in Jesus's ministry. Mark chapter 10, verse 17 to 27. As he was setting out on a journey, a man ran up to him and knelt before him and asked him, good teacher, what shall I do that I may inherit eternal life? Jesus said to him, why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. Well, this is interesting. Jesus is saying, what do you call me? Do you call me teacher? Do you call me Savior? Do you call me Lord? He said, why do you call me good? You know the commandments. Don't murder. Don't commit adultery. Do not steal. Do not give false testimony. Do not defraud. Honor your father and mother. And notice he leaves out a few. All the ones that tell us about God. Honor the Sabbath. Keep the Lord your God. Uh, keep his name holy. He leaves out all those out. And so the, the, the rich young ruler says, teacher, I've kept all these from my youth. Looking at him, Jesus loved Jesus showed love to him and said, one thing you lack. He's testing his love for God. Go and sell all your possessions and give to the poor, and you will have treasures in heaven, and come follow me. But he was deeply dismayed by these words, because he went away grieving, for he was one who owned much property. And then Jesus, looking around, said to his disciples, how hard it will be for those who are wealthy to enter the kingdom of God. And his disciples were amazed at his words. But Jesus responded again and said, children, how hard it is to enter the, the kingdom of God. It's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. And they were even more astonished. And they said to him, then who can be saved? And looking at them, Jesus said, he answered them. He said, with people, it's impossible, but not with God. For all things are possible with God. He's telling them the same thing that he's telling Nicodemus, as we'll see 
in just a few minutes. God is the one who makes all things possible, including and especially salvation. So he's pointing Nicodemus to the same thing. So this is Jesus's approach to, to Nicodemus. Not because he wanted to put him in his place and say, I'm God, I'm better than you, I'm a better teacher, but because he wanted to get Nicodemus's attention. Nicodemus already had, or uh, he already respected God. He already taught everyone else to respect God, but Jesus had to humble him to say, I don't need your respect. I want your heart. I've already got your respect. Jesus isn't satisfied with respect. So here's the big idea for today. This is what the message is all about. Fulfillment doesn't come from religion. Fulfillment comes from a relationship. Can we say that together as a church? Fulfillment doesn't come from religion. Fulfillment comes from a relationship. A relationship with your heavenly father who created you and wants the best for you. Man, that is good news. That is good news that I can live by. So Nicodemus, he lived a godly life by all definitions of the day. And even he obeyed the scriptures, taught the scriptures, then it wasn't enough. Jesus didn't know Nicodemus, and Nicodemus didn't know him. All right, so before we move on, let's take a break. I've got a treat for you. Let's watch this scene from John chapter 3 play out in The Chosen. I think you'll be blessed by it. The eastern slums. Hmm. Many wandering preachers have succeeded in gathering crowds with their rhetoric and fiery tone. I've heard a few of them over the years myself. So you know the type. Hmm. But I have never heard anyone tell the paralytic to get up and walk, much less it actually happened. So what is your conclusion? I believe you are not acting alone. No one can do these signs you do without having God in him. Only someone who has come from God. And how is that belief going over in the synagogue? Ah. <laughs> <laughs> Which is why we are here at this hour. Everybody, turn your heads to the left, and it looks a lot better. What have you come here to show us? A kingdom. That is what our rulers are worried about. No, not that kind. Then what? A sort of kingdom that a person cannot see unless he is born again. Born again? Yes. You mean like a new creature? A conversion from Gentile to Jewish? No, no, that's not what I'm talking about. Then what is born again? <sighs> I hope you don't mean return to the womb, because that would be a problem for me. My mother, may she rest in peace, is dead. Truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the spirit is spirit. That part of you, that, is what must be reborn to new life. 
can these things be? Ah, my teacher of Israel, and yet you do not understand these things, huh? I'm trying, Rabbi. I know. I know. Do you hear this? What? Listen. What do you hear? The wind. How do you know it's the wind? Because I can feel it. I hear its sound. Do you know where it comes from? No. Do you know where it's going? No. That's what it is to be born again of the Spirit. The Spirit may work in a way that is a mystery to you. And while you cannot see the Spirit, you can recognize his effect. Mind is consumed with thoughts of what a stir these words would cause among the teachers of the law. Yes, and I do not expect otherwise. I speak of what I know and have seen, and it has not been received by the religious leaders. It is hard to receive. So if I have told you of earthly things, and you do not believe, how can I tell you heavenly things? I believe your words. I just fear you may not have a chance to speak many more of them before you are silenced. I have come to do more than speak words, Nicodemus. More miracles? Yes. But even more than that. Do you remember when the children of Israel complained against God and against Moses in the wilderness of Paran? Yes. They wanted to return to Egypt and they cursed the manna that God sent them. And then? They were bitten by serpents. And they were dying. But? But God made a way for them to be healed. Moses lifted the bronze serpent in the desert, and people only needed to look at it. So will the Son of Man be lifted up, so that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. Our people are not dying from snake bites. They're dying from taxation and oppression. I'm sorry to disappoint you. But I did not come to deliver the people from Rome. Then from what? From sin. From spiritual death. God loves the world in this way. That he gave his only son. That whoever believes in him shall not perish. But have eternal life. So this has nothing to do with Rome. It's all about... Sin. God did not send his son into the world to condemn it, Nicodemus. He sent him to save it through him. It's as simple as Moses' serpent on the pole. Whoever believes in him will not be condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already. Well, I'm sorry about all your uh, cricks in your necks on that one. <laughs> Hopefully you're able to hear the conversation occur and, and get some appreciation for it. They just do a fantastic job presenting God's Word. So um, I tested several of the videos and apparently not that one. So I do apologize. That's on me. So, uh, But definitely maybe that'll inspire you to go back and check that out. It is season one, episode seven is where that scene occurs. So um, he talks about a couple of really cool things in there. Um, what, what the, the conversation that they just had really summarizes all of God's plan for the world, doesn't it? 
So beginning with the Jewish people all the way to today, it didn't change. Nothing in there changed. It still applies to us the same way. The same offer still applies. So here's some cool things that that are discussed. And like I said, you could do a whole sermon series on this. Don't miss the fact that Jesus agreed to meet Nicodemus in the veil of night. What's the significance of this? He meets Nicodemus on his terms, where he is in his shame for meeting Jesus. And he does the same to us. You do not have to fix your life before you go to Jesus. He will meet you wherever you are, but he doesn't expect us to stay there. He expects us to change after we meet. So ultimately, Jesus is asking Nicodemus to make a big step across a very difficult line that he has to cross. And he begins to make it, as we'll see as we check out some more of Nicodemus' story, but it doesn't happen overnight. It takes a while, and that happens to us too. We meet Jesus, we get excited, but our life change takes a while. Even the decision on whether to give our life to Jesus can take a while, but we see in Nicodemus' case, Jesus is okay with waiting, all right? So Nicodemus has to make another big shift in thinking, and he has to, say, has to realize that salvation that Jesus is offering is not a salvation from Rome. Or, well, I'll, that's one of the other things. I mean, the salvation that Jesus is offering is not obtained from sacrifices. Because he's Jewish, and he's been teaching people, you have to sacrifice a lamb, you have to do all of these things, do a sin burn offering, do a miracle offering, and the, the, the smoke is, a, is an aroma for the Lord to praise him and to thank him for what he's done. And all of that goes out the window when it comes to salvation. And he has to wrap his mind around this, and he really struggles to. As you've seen, it's a salvation from sin, and, and it's only by believing, not by sacrifices. This is a huge shift. So also, do you remember what he said about the serpent on a pole? Now, I don't know if you guys ever studied this old story before, but from Numbers chapter 21, when God freed the Israelites from Egypt and they were wandering in the desert before he led them into the promised land, they grumbled. They were upset over and over again. They said, why don't we just go back to Egypt? We're sick of this manna from heaven. We want something more. We want to have permanency in our land. Let's just go back to Egypt and be slaves. It'll be easier there. And God's going, are you kidding me? I just granted you your freedom. I'm leading you to a promised land, and you can't even wait to get there. You're already going to reject me. So after this happens over and over and over again, in Numbers chapter 21, Verse 5, and the people spoke against God and against Moses. Wherefore have ye brought us out of Egypt to die in the wilderness where there's no bread? Neither is there any water for our soul loatheth the sight, the, the light, this light bread. They didn't like the manna that God was providing them miraculously. And the, so the Lord sent fiery serpents among the people and they bit the people and much people of Israel died. Therefore, the people came to Moses and said, We have sinned, for we have spoken against the Lord and against thee. They confessed their sin. 
Pray unto the Lord, he said, that he take away the serpents from us. And Moses prayed for the people. And the Lord said unto Moses, Make thee a fiery serpent, and set it on a pole, and it shall come to pass that everyone who was bitten will look upon it and shall live. And Moses made a serpent of brass and put it on a pole, and it came to pass that if a serpent had been bitten any man, then he beheld the serpent of brass, then he lived. That's the story Jesus is talking about to Nicodemus. Nicodemus knows that story well, and Jesus says, guess what? That's what I'm here for. That's a foreshadowing. Not just a shift in thinking, but a foreshadowing of what he is going to be doing. Because look back at John 3, 14. Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up. Jesus must be lifted up like on a cross so that everyone who believes may have eternal life. Believes. Not sacrificing. Not doing anything else, but believing. And then John 3.16 follows exactly after that. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, and whoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. He doubles down. Isn't that cool? This huge shift in thinking from the Jewish teaching from the Old Testament to what Jesus is offering is incredible. So um, here's something else very interesting. The serpent on the pole, as you, that's just an artistic rendition. You may see something else more common. The symbol of healing, the symbol of medicine, universally looks like a serpent on a pole. And it's called the rod of Asclepius. Asclepius was the Greek god of healing. And so people say, well, this comes from Greek mythology, but I have a counterpoint for you. The biblical, uh, the Greeks very likely got much of their mythology from the Judaic beliefs. How do we know this? Because the Greeks used to trade with the Israelites thousands of years before this God on a, with a snake on a pole ever showed up. And there's historical records that the tribe of Dan traded with the Greeks thousands of years before the Greeks even had mythology. And the story of Hercules from the Greek mythology closely aligns with the biblical story of Samson. And Samson was from the tribe of Dan. So all these stories about Samson and everything that we read in the Old Testament was retold to the Greeks and they turned that into Greek mythology. And so that's very likely that that's where this comes from. So when you see that medical symbol, you can say that was created by God to be a representation of what Jesus does for us on the cross, only to believe in him and be healed. Very cool. Never look at the medical symbol the same way again. Now, uh, there's a lot of pagan beliefs that are based on Christian. Did you know that um, the story of creation is also um, copied, carbon copied into a lot of pagan beliefs. The, the great, there's great floods, there's a story of great floods in the Aztecs. There, and a lot of different religions have Messiah-like characters that appear. And so it's, by theologians, it's widely believed this is all just carbon copies of what God foretold way back thousands of years ago would happen. It's kind of, kind of interesting. Pardon me while I nerd out on old biblical history. So it's just something that's very interesting to me.
All right, so Nicodemus, though, has to make a third shift in thinking. The third shift is this is a salvation not from the Romans. The the Pharisees and the Jewish people believed that um, whenever uh, the Romans came and took over the land of Israel, and then they read about a Messiah that's going to come save people, they automatically interpreted that to be saving them from the bondage of Rome. And he was going to take over, and he was going to lead an army and lead a revolt and squash the Roman military. Does that happen? No. Jesus means something totally different. Salvation from sin. So you can remove the, the separation that sin requires, or that sin keeps us from God, and that we can have communion with God. We can be reconciled with him. And that's what Jesus is offering. He says, very, tell, very truly I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they're born of water and of spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but spirit gives birth to spirit. And you shouldn't be surprised by my saying you should be born again. Why? Because they're very um, in the know on um, a very similar concept of the spirit. The wind blows where it pleases. You hear it sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it's going. So it is with everyone born of the spirit. So he makes a connection here between the wind and the spirit. And it's a connection that is familiar to Nicodemus. And we know that because in Greek, they mean the same thing. It's the same word. Pneuma means spirit and it means wind. So when Jesus says these things and he says, he likens the spirit of being born again to that of the wind. We see its effect. We see the trees move. We can feel the wind, but you can't see it. It's the same way with the Spirit of God. And so Nicodemus is starting to get it. Here's another picture straight from my Bible, this Bible right here. And it says, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes. Now see that little number up next to it? If your Bible has that, it's probably a reference to something else in your Bible. In my Bible, it's the the uh, Greek dictionary of the New Testament, which is in the back. And so I can look that up, and here's what it says. It's the word pneuma, 4151. Well, if you look at the word spirit, it also has the same number, 4151. They're the exact same word in the Greek. And look what they mean, a breeze. And then also further down, it means the Holy Spirit. So something very interesting for us to learn as we're studying scripture, and Nicodemus, you know, um, subscribes to the same ideas, and he begins to understand. But he doesn't immediately want to go get born again right away. He's still struggling. His old sinful priorities would have to die, and though he's working, the, the working of the Holy Spirit, he would need to put on fresh eyes, fresh motivations, a fresh heart, and a fresh start. So Jesus is inviting Nicodemus to do just that. Let's check out the invitation that Jesus has for Nicodemus in a video. I told my wife and my students she was beyond human aid. Only God could have healed her. And then I saw her healed. And here you are. healer 
I am standing on holy ground. <laughs> holy roof. <laughs> I do hope you come with us, Nicodemus. the sun, lest he be angry and you perish in the way. Blessed are all who take refuge in him. This is the invitation Nicodemus is receiving from Jesus. Isn't it amazing how dark the ancient world was? Man, like, it's just, if you're going to meet somebody at night, it's for a reason, and you don't want anybody else to see. But I love that portrayal, and that particular scene is not scriptural. This is what the writers have added to help convey the invitation that Nicodemus is receiving. Now, did Nicodemus become a follower of Jesus. Jesus gives him five days and says, we're going to meet and you can come with us. He tells him exactly where to meet five days later. Now, we're not really sure if Nicodemus became a follower, but most people think he at least continued to work on his heart, on his transition 
to following Jesus. In John chapter 7, verse 45 to 52, during Jesus' own trial with the Pharisees, he continues to work through his transition. It says, finally, the temple guards went back to the chief priests and the Pharisees who asked him, why do you bring him in? No one ever spoke the way this man does, the guard said. You must mean he's deceived you also, the Pharisees retorted. Have any of the rulers of the Pharisees believed in him? No, but this mob knows nothing of the law. In other words, we're, you know, they have stature. There is, there is a curse on these people who don't know the law. Nicodemus who, Nicodemus, who had gone to Jesus earlier, who was one of their own number, the Pharisees, asked, Does our law condemn a man without first hearing him to find out what he's been doing? He subtly defends Jesus and says, Wait, let's not convict him yet. Let's at least go through the process of hearing him out. It's kind of interesting that Nicodemus does that. They replied, Nicodemus, are you from Galilee too? Look into it and you'll find that a prophet does not come from Galilee. The biblical story said the prophet came from Bethlehem, the city of David, not from Galilee. Well, Jesus was raised in Galilee and they called him Jesus of Nazareth in Galilee. And so they're kind of offended. Thankfully, it's likely Nicodemus is finally starting to get to know Jesus. And so there's even more that we will see. In Jeremiah 29, 13, this is how you find him. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all of your heart. With all of your heart. You're not going to stumble upon Jesus. You're not going to stumble into a fulfilling relationship with him. You have to seek him. You have to meet Jesus where you are and he will meet you where you are. You have to take that step to see him, to find him, to seek his face, as the Bible says. Now, it does seem that he eventually does. He eventually does. Let's watch one more, one more video here and watch his reaction. This is the meeting five days later where they're about to leave, and he's standing there still deciding if he wants to follow Jesus. Let's check this last one out. everyone. Everyone's here? Yes, this is all of us. Is there anyone else? Look at this. What is that? I don't know. Let's find out. Gold. A friend of mine left that for us. It's enough for two weeks of food and lodging. You came so close. What do you mean? We 
need the gopher to make it to a camp in Tiberius by nightfall. Simon is correct. Let's go. <laughs> you came so close. But man, I do not want Jesus to say those words to me. He gave them two weeks of food and lodging, a whole bag full of gold. And what I learned from that is my tithe check is out of obedience to God, but it is not my salvation. And you see it all the time with people wanting to make up for something that bad happened in their life, some sinful act, and they give the church a bunch of money. You're, you're going to help God's ministry, but that's not what God wants. He wants your heart. He wants you to follow him. And the invitation still stands, and this is Jesus calling out to all of us, is there anyone else? Is there anyone else who will follow me? Man, that cuts deep to me, because there's definitely times in my life, I call myself a follower of Christ, but there are certainly times where I have been distant from him. And it's not because God moved. He doesn't back away. It was me. This pastor always says, you're only as far from God as you want to be. He doesn't move. We move. So does Nicodemus follow Jesus? Not yet. Jesus begins his three-year journey and Nicodemus doesn't show up again until after the crucifixion of Jesus. He shows up in John chapter 19. And let's see what he does. Chapter 19, verse 38. Later, Joseph of Arimathea asked Pilate for the body of Jesus. Now, Joseph was a disciple of Jesus, but secretly because he feared the Jewish leaders. While with Pilate's permission, he came and took the body away. He was accompanied by Nicodemus. The man who earlier has visited Jesus at night. Nicodemus brought a mixture of myrrh and aloes. About 75 pounds of myrrh and aloes. Now, taking Jesus' body, the two of them wrapped it up with spices and strips of linen. This was in accordance with the Jewish burial customs. And at the place where Jesus was crucified, there was a garden. And in the garden, a new tomb in which no one had ever been laid, which fulfilled prophecy. Because it was the Jewish day of preparation, and since the tomb was nearby, they laid Jesus there. Now, normally, they do wrap bodies in myrrh and aloes and strips of linen, but they would normally use like four or five pounds worth, and it, this stuff's expensive. He brings 75, at least 75 pounds, Nicodemus does. He gave Jesus a king's burial. This is how they would have buried a king. They would have packed him in so many spices and so much good-smelling stuff that the cloths around their faces would harden into a crust. And that's what happened to Jesus. So it's generally accepted by theologians that Nicodemus does eventually become a follower of Jesus somewhere between his ministry starting and his crucifixion. And in fact, he is venerated by many Orthodox Christian denominations. They have statues of him. They have Saint Nicodemus Day. He's a saint. So does that mean he was actually 
a follower of Jesus, we can't judge. Uh, it does seem that he may have been, but what's even more important is what we can learn from his interaction with Jesus, from his path, from his transformation, is that we have a big question to answer. And that is, what do you call Jesus? Do you respect him? That's good. Do you learn from him? That's good. But the big question is, is he Savior and King to you? And that means two different things. Savior, meaning that he saves us from our sin, from the consequences of our sin, and leads us into eternal life. And number two is King, the King of your life, the one who you follow and obey with your daily interactions. Because Jesus says, fear not, I've overcome this world. He's already overcome everything you've gone through. Every betrayal you've had. The loss of your job, the loss of your spouse, the loss of an important relationship, the loss of a loved one. He's experienced it all. And he's there to go through life with us. And that's what Emmanuel means, is God with us. So we can learn even more cool stuff from this story. The more interesting things and encouraging things about God's interaction with us. Turning over a new leaf, as we hear about in church a lot, that's good. That's not what the Christian life is about. It's not about pursuing righteousness, although that is something we should do after we have a relationship with with Jesus. We don't do it to make God love us because we already know there's nothing we can do to show God that we love him more than he's already done for us. There's nothing you can do to outgive God. And the other cool thing we can learn is that it may take time. You don't have to make the decision today, although you should, and it's an important one, but if you don't or you haven't, there is still time. It's not too late. Nicodemus came around, seemingly, by the end of Jesus' life. And so you have permission to not regret the past decisions you've made. You have permission by God to make that decision now and not earlier. It's not too late. So, and the other thing is that your past mistakes don't have to hold you back. Nicodemus made a lot of mistakes in his life. In fact, the majority of his life was probably a mistake. The majority of his life was leading people, um, uh, teaching people about God, but gaining that respect back and feeding off of it and, and, and loving every minute of it and, and being rich and being paid and seeking power and respect. And he finds out in his last few years of his life that none of that even mattered. It was all for naught. It was a waste. And the true blessing and the true meaning of life is to follow God and to have an eternal relationship with him. Now, you're probably saying, Eric, you don't know about my life. I've done some stuff. I, God's got to work on me some more first before I come to him. And that is simply not true. God will meet you where you are. In the darkness of night, wherever you're at, he meets you there. And then you begin to take steps to follow him. He's not mad at you. 
He's not angry with your past mistakes and the sins that have occurred in the past. He misses you. He misses you, and he wants you to come home. Heavenly Father God, thank you for this message. Thank you for the lessons that we can learn in John chapter 3. God, the most amazing verse of Scripture that tells the story of what you have done for us from Jesus' mouth himself. God, how encouraging it is to know that you meet us in the midst of our sin. You meet us in our darkest places, in our darkest times. You're willing to meet us there. You do not require us to get our life together before you want to get to know us. Like such the loving Father that you are. God, help us. Help us to humble ourselves to put away the intoxicating uh, desire to, to have power and, and be respected by our neighbors and our friends and our coworkers, and to shift that focus to you. This shift in thinking that Nicodemus went through is what we desire for our own hearts. God, thank you for your son, that there's nothing we can do to outgive what you have given us. So God, protect us this week and help us grow closer and step, take more and more steps closer and closer to you. In your name we pray. Amen. So just before we sing this next song, um, our last song, which is, Oh, come to the altar, and hopefully you will make that a prayer of your heart. I just would like for us all to stand for just a moment. And we're going to sing this song, but before we do... I would like everyone, if you don't mind, just simply to bow your head. And I often do this not because this has some magic formula or anything like that, but ultimately we build on steps that we take, moves that we make towards what God is calling us to do. I'm not going to embarrass you in any way, but what Eric said and what he brought it to the point there at the very end is so powerful. If it's not today, then do this. Take one step closer. Just one step closer. You don't have to give everything that you own. You don't have to walk away from everything you've ever known. But take one step closer at very least. If you're not ready to give it all, then give at least one step closer to God. And say, you know what? I'm committing right now. I'm deciding right now. And I'm determining right now that I will take at least one step closer to the Lord who is calling me for more than I have given. And if you know that's where you are, with everybody not looking around, but just simply between you and God, would you just simply raise your hand and say, I'm one step, I want to do one step closer. I just want to move one step closer. I know I'm not exactly where I need to be, but I know I need to do one step closer.